Welcome, everyone, to Changing Healthcare, a podcast all about the technology of healthcare, what's working, what's not, and what we can all do about it together. I'm Miles David Romney. I'm CTO and co-founder and on-staff futurist at eVisit, and I'm here with my co-host, Brett Larson, CEO of eVisit. Hi, Brett. Hey, Miles. How you doing? Yeah, I'm doing very well, thanks, today. This is our inaugural episode. We'll say that at the outset. We're, we're excited about it. Uh, there, there's a lot to talk about, not only today, but always. We've made kind of an informal list uh, of, of things that we want to that we want to kind of riff on today. On the main, though, what what I like, a political writer that I like a lot uh, once said, it's easy to write a daily column. There's got to be at least one thing in the world that annoys you on a daily basis. Just write about that. In looking at uh, health, healthcare and health tech and what we need to change, uh, that's, you know, we all experience that. There's a lot going right. I'm I, I'm an incurable optimist. I look at the healthcare system in the United States. I do believe it's the greatest in the world. Uh, this is the greatest time to be alive. There is so much that's going right. So we, I know you and you and I, Brett, aren't looking to topple what's already there in healthcare. In fact, we like to say that we are disrupting the disruption in healthcare. Uh, we we want to continue to empower the people who have already proven that they're in the best position to care for patients. Uh, but there are some real challenges, uh, particularly where cost and efficiency are, are concerned. And, and this is where we, we see a real opportunity, not only for, for us, but uh, for everyone in health tech and for the, the vision that we have for the future that stretches out to 2050. The, we can't do that alone. It's going to take uh, a dozen, two, maybe two dozen, maybe three dozen companies all working together to build the pieces that make up the, the future of health tech. So this is a, a collaborative community effort. Uh, and uh, we're, we're far from the only ones with ideas. So we'll be bringing on guests from time to time and uh, talking about how they envision the future of, uh, of health tech and, uh, and understanding uh, their vision for how to get there, the, the roadmap that they have paved for how to get there. So with all of that kind of as a, uh, a, as a foundation, let me, let me uh, throw the ball over to you for a bit, Brett, and, uh, and ask you, what are a couple of things in healthcare that annoy you, that you think we can do something about? I think this podcast is not intended to be about eVisit, but I think it really goes back to the genesis of eVisit. The time that was spent working for a benefit-focused solution provider that eventually was acquired by Teladoc really opened my eyes, I think, to, to the, the reality that it's in patients' best interest to stay connected with the providers that know them best. And that yeah. way that healthcare as a landscape was accelerating was actually disrupting that relationship. And, and I've, I, I felt that was fundamentally dangerous for local healthcare infrastructure, but also for the patients who access that. And that when you disconnect those things, dangerous things happen. And so know, talk, talk a little bit more about that, because the, 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 uh, the healthcare industry as a whole, I think, is moving towards, is really trending towards holistic uh, care and wellness, cradle to grave care, uh, integrated care. So when you say that, uh, that, that you were seeing and we both, and you sold me on that vision uh, really early. Uh, when you when you say that you were seeing that patients were being uh, really disenfranchised from their existing healthcare providers, how was that happening? Yeah. So I, if you look at the fundamental business model of a teledoc or an American Well, and I think I think they have positive intent. They have worthy missions. But if you look at the fundamental business model, their core customer is the health plan. 
and uh, and their core offering is a doctor's visit. And so the early days, I was employee number six at a company called Stat Doctors. It was, it was eventually acquired by Teladoc. But we were really, I, was, I joined the team as, as, uh, as leading their marketing efforts, and we were really focused on how do we drive utilization, and it just wasn't coming. And it was what, it was what you would read in Teladoc's 10K pre-pandemic, which was 2 to 3% utilization of the member base. And so I, I, we didn't have a product person on staff at the time, so I went out and started working and, and talking to end-user patients from a product perspective to understand why they weren't using it. And I had a few aha moments, mostly around patients asking who the providers were and the discomfort of not knowing who the providers were on the other side of that request, even though the, the efficacy of the visit itself was, was great. I, I think the long-term effects of disconnecting patients from providers will see degrading patient outcomes, that as an aside. But I started to think about how, would, how do we help patients build relationships with these providers? And at the same time in the industry, uh, Uber had started to gain massive traction from a word of mouth perspective, and they were finding, you know, we were hearing a lot of noise from the taxi cab industry about what Uber was doing to their business. And, and the, the next aha moment was if, if we were successful at Stat Doctors or Teladoc, what we were going to do to healthcare would not be dissimilar to what was happening in transportation, but uh, rather than being a positive disruption, it would actually result in pretty meaningful consequences when it comes to and this. This wasn't at Evisa. This was at Stat Doctors. This was at yeah. Stat Doctors, who right. made all who made their revenue by providing healthcare services to consumers in competition yep. to existing IDNs and other providers. Yeah, in short, it was a national provider network that was tech enabled, right? And so the the thought I had was, had was, what if the taxi cab industry had had a technology platform? to provide the same convenience to consumers before Uber had come onto the scene or as Uber was coming onto the scene, they would have been able to maintain their incumbent position. And I saw health systems as the incumbent and Teladoc as the disruptor. And so I thought, what if we were to build a platform for health systems that enabled them to diversify the channels through which they delivered care using their own providers, using the, the, the providers that already deliver care to those patients. And so really that's, that was the genesis of eVisit. The vision was to be able to simplify healthcare delivery to everyone everywhere through the relationship that, that matters most that already existed. And so to answer your, your, your first question is what, what's one of the fundamental things that, that frustrates me about healthcare, um, I think is, is, is being able to enable health systems to create that shift to providing a consumer experience. We, we had a lot of conversation early on in the pandemic about how the pandemic had changed telemedicine for forever. And Miles, you've long said that today we call it telemedicine or, or telehealth. Tomorrow it's just medicine, it's just healthcare because these access points are gonna be part of a core delivery mechanism. Like it's, as a patient, I'm not, I won't differentiate between whether it was a televisit or a physical visit or an asynchronous chat visit. I'm just receiving care. The real, what eVisit is setting out to do, and one of the things that, that I think frustrates all of us at eVisit is that consumer experience. The pandemic accelerated the consumerization of care. It, can, it accelerated the realization that we have as consumers that there is choice because all of a sudden we couldn't access our care providers and their physical facilities. And so we started looking for other options. And there are a lot of, there are some examples and, and, and people who we will have on the podcast to talk through these examples of health systems that accelerated that significantly. And there's more to the e-visit story, but that was really the core. And I think something that still, still eats at us today and really drives us forward. I think that's the key frustration for me is how do we help craft a delightful consumer experience 
for health systems and their patients. And, you know, EHRs are, are fantastic Swiss Army knives. Uh, they're built out to deal with a lot of conflicting priorities. And, and in many cases, they do it very well. Uh, companies who build them, however, aren't used to having to build those consumer-facing software suites, right? They, they don't, <laughs> they're not the ones who've been, been uh, building beautiful experiences in, in, in iPhone games and, uh, and, and other things that consumers are just itching to get their hands on. They've been in the business of building, uh, building powerful databases with interfaces that allow for human interaction. So all of us as patients, we, we've been there, right? We, we've, we've gone to uh, either our primary care provider's website or to uh, an IDN's website in order to get in and see our test results or schedule an appointment. And uh, we've been directed into the, uh, through their front door experience, into their patient portal, and then been faced with something that looks like it was designed by an engineer that takes 45 minutes to get through and a couple of fails before we uh, before we succeed, and then it's hard to find exactly where the appointment, where to book an appointment, and how that figures into maybe sending a follow-up message or getting into an asynchronous uh, encounter or synchronous video visit. Uh, all of that today tends to be awkward, difficult, and disconnected. You've heard me say before, I'm a strong believer the only reason that EHRs have a business is because the people who buy them don't have to use them. And that's they do provide a valuable service, and that's a pretty confrontational statement, but it, it's, you can't force consumers to use subpar experiences. We just, we won't do it. Um, yeah. What, well, let me flip the script. What's something about healthcare right now that, that, that's driving you, that's the opportunities you see, areas you see for improvement? One of my big frustrations in healthcare, and so one of the things that drives my passion is the way that, uh, the way that the industry builds. Uh, that the way that it's forced to bill. I had a friend come to me a couple of days ago and said, "Hey, I I just got to vent to somebody. I know you work in healthcare. I just went to the Mayo Clinic for this exam, and I ended up with a provider who who was different than I was expecting. This was uh, an exam of a sensitive nature, and I wanted the provider who I knew and was comfortable with, and I and I also didn't want the the, the, the student intern in the room at the same time. And so the, the full exam didn't end up getting done. And I've had to book a duplicate exam at another facility. And yet I got a bill for $700 uh, because they're claiming this was a level four exam. And it just felt like the whole experience was built around how they could bill for the visit. And I, I laughed and I said, uh, well, that might be because the whole experience was built around how they can bill for the visit. Uh, I'm not even being critical or cynical when I say that. that that's the way that the system has grown up. Everybody wants to get paid for their efforts, right? Nobody wants to give things out for free. And, uh, and the, the way that efficiency is achieved so often is looking at how you can code a visit and, and then bill for it. And the, one of the current challenges is that uh, there are disconnected incentives, uh, conflicting incentives even, between the institutions that are training healthcare providers, the medical schools, and the organizations who employ those providers, and then the organizations who pay for the care that they deliver. And trying to bring all of those into sync is, uh, is messy, and it's a real challenge. But as uh, we'd like to say at Eve, is it where there, wherever there's complexity, there's opportunity. Uh, this, is, this is also an area that suffers right now from a, an awkward stage that, uh, that our technology evolution is in. Uh, we are providing cutting-edge healthcare that is better than the world has ever seen. Uh, if you want the very best healthcare, 
uh, and it must be said, you, and you can pay for it, uh, then the United States is the place to get it. But the cost of that right now is just so high. Uh, because we're, we're in a state where socially we have evolved to a point where our expectations and our liability assignments are, are, are quite sophisticated and very high, uh, but the, the treatments and the technologies that we're using are very new, and they require sometimes billions of dollars of investment in order to carry off, and those, that has to be recouped. And today, it's recouped in the form of billing for the care that's provided, using all of those, uh, all of the education for those providers and all of the uh, the treatments that have been developed and the and the technologies that have been developed. But we are going to see. Uh, I am absolutely convinced that we are going to see a commoditization of all of these services over the next thirty years, similar to what we've seen over the last thirty years. Uh, in the consumer technology space. Everybody today is holding a device in the form of a mobile phone that is an order of magnitude more sophisticated than a million dollar Univac computer uh, circa 19, the 1960s. Everything from synthesizing drugs to MRIs to analyzing uh, telemetry, all of these things are going to be commoditized in a similar way over the next 30 years. And we're going to be in a position where these can be delivered at a much, much, much lower cost, at a downright affordable cost in 2050. So I'm, I don't tend to get too, I'm annoyed that we're in uh, this kind of, uh, this difficult interregnum where, where, where we have the technologies, but they've not yet been commoditized. And so they're so expensive. And so they're causing so much pain, uh, not only in healthcare, but it, it, it then cascades throughout every aspect of our socio-political landscape. Um, healthcare, healthcare, healthcare is what we're talking about most of the time on, uh, uh, when, uh, when we talk about political divides and, uh, and the costs that, uh, that governments have to incur and high taxes and uh, whether we're looking at uh, a single payer or a, a, a private solution. All of this comes down to the high cost of delivering care today. Uh, so while that's one of my big annoyances, I also see it as an area where we in health tech can really move the needle and we're going to over the next 30 years. So in 2050, this is all going to be so much more beautiful, the experience from front to back. If you were, Miles, if you were leading the, the technology side of a health system today, what, what, what are some of the first things you'd do to address that? Because I think it, is, it really does come, come down to that. Healthcare is a business, whether we like it or not. There is, you know, the, the service providers in that business, they have to monetize it, right? Like that, that's, it, it just, it's, it's the reason why the U.S. has some of the best healthcare in the world. Not necessarily the best benefits, but some of the best, most efficacious care. You know, if you were leading technology in a large health system, what are some of the first things you'd do to, to really start to affect change? The change that, that you feel like needs to happen. I would bucket those into two categories. One is the, the revolutionary category. And there, there really are only a handful of large IDNs who are in a position to be doing things like that. For example, I mentioned that there is a that there are conflicting incentives between the institutions that educate doctors and the organizations that employ them. Well, Kaiser announced uh, last week that uh, they're they're standing up a medical school of their own. Uh, that reminded me, in fact, of when uh, totally different industry, but uh, similar, similar kind of considerations when Walt Disney founded um, the California Institute for the Arts. 
it was an educational institution, a fine one, but he stood it up so that animators could be taught the, the Disney way and flow right into the Walt Disney Company so that they could build a better business. Kaiser, I, I don't have any inside information on what Kaiser's thinking here, but I can only imagine that it's a very similar approach, that they're looking at the high, high uh, student loans that, that, uh, that new doctors come out of school with, and they're seeing how that drives uh, the, the need for high salaries as they, they come into work for Kaiser. And they must be looking at those uh, those two conflicting uh, or those two related incentives and saying, well, if we can provide uh, education to these providers and at the same time uh, teach them the Kaiser way, do it all much, much less expensively so they don't come out of school with hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt, then they can flow into Kaiser and uh, we can pay them more affordably. And that allows us to bring down the bottom line and what we charge patients now. This is it's a controversial thing to talk about. Clearly, no doctor likes to 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 be faced with the prospect of getting paid less. Uh, but the truth is, is that doctors are already getting faced with that reality as they more and more their practices are purchased by larger uh, groups and they go to work for HMOs and they get squeezed on reimbursement uh, from CMS. They're already faced with the reality of getting paid less. So anything that can provide that they can equalize that and make education more affordable for them um, can only have a net benefit effect on on the, the industry. On the other hand, there are things that everyone from the smallest uh, PCP practice to the largest IDN can do to really boost both patient outcomes and efficiencies. And this, uh, I glad you, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> <laughs> when you looked uh, to get in, uh, when you looked to continue your career in health tech, and when I, and I, I started my career in health tech, which then took 15 years in the entertainment industry, uh, building media companies and um, doing other things specifically in, in uh, video and audio streaming and, and encryption security. When I was cutting back over to, to healthcare, it's because I wanted to change what I saw as the second biggest problem in the world, which is the high cost and spotty availability of healthcare. I didn't cut over from entertainment and say, I, I am, am passionate about telehealth. I'm, I'm going to get into telehealth. No, I was looking to solve I was looking to achieve an outcome, to solve a specific problem, to raise both uh, patient outcomes and efficiencies. Then when I, when I started taking a look at this landscape, that's when I got sold on telehealth as, as the best solution for moving that needle. In fact, it was uh, you who convinced me of that, right? We're in this business because we saw that telehealth was that thing, that kind of killer app, as Steve Jobs would say, that can allow uh, any healthcare provider network, IDN organization, uh, can allow any of them to both raise patient outcomes as well as raise efficiency by reducing the physical costs of, of maintaining so many patients on site, by making it safer for patients to see uh, providers, uh, to by, by bringing down the amount of time that providers have to spend with patients. This is another one, though, that is going to require some, some changes in the way people bill. Right now, if you're using E&M codes, evaluation and management codes to, to bill uh, for patient encounters, then you're required to spend 5, 10, 15 minutes with a patient, uh, depending on what code uh, you're going to assign to the encounter. Uh, if you are spending 15 minutes with a patient just so that you can uh, bill for 15 minutes, rather than having the most efficient encounter that you could have with a patient, that's, that's an opportunity for efficiency right there. And if the same care in the end is being provided uh, to the patient, through maybe a combination of seeing a provider and, uh, and an MA, and then maybe having results uh, analyzed by an AI 
and then being put back in front of the provider and the provider renders the final judgment for, for care. If all of that can happen in two minutes instead of 15, then uh, there's a huge opportunity for savings there. And all of that is made possible by, by what we call virtual care, right? This is another annoyance of ours, I, I think, uh, collectively, that uh, the word virtual, we don't, we don't buy virtual shoes from, uh, from uh, Amazon. We don't get uh, virtual education from Harvard Online. We don't uh, get virtual credit from Chase.com. Uh, so why do we call it virtual care? It's something, like I said, towards the beginning, we, tomorrow it will just be care. And I, and I think that's something the pandemic has also accelerated. The, the convenience and access that some of these technologies present is significant. And I think one of the things that's consistently surprised me about healthcare industry, and one of the reasons I dove into healthcare was, was just the technologies that we've adopted so readily in other, in other industries that make business more efficient, smoother, a better experience, more automated, um, they're primed to be adopted in healthcare. Uh, and, and there's certain sensitivities there because we want to make sure that we're, we're managing outcomes effectively and we're reducing risk and we're um, providing the proper access. But when done appropriately, you really can craft a consumer experience that delivers the right outcomes. And I, I, I think, you know, the fact that a lot of us have just accepted that ambulatory is going to operate a loss is a fallacy. I think I think we can actually make it at least a break even, if not a loss leader. And so I, I'm excited to dive in for the foreseeable future with some experts in the industry to to figure who who are leading kind of the bleeding edge of making these shifts within their systems um, to 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 do that to improve the consumer experience, to improve operational efficiency. Frankly, an extension of what eVisit's vision is is to simplify healthcare delivery to everyone, everywhere, and uh, to 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 fix that big problem of the spotty availability and the high cost of care. That's the reason we got into this. It's there's a lot of things I think that you and I could be doing, other companies we could be founding or or running. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, the eVisit mission is a strong social one, and and it's exciting to partner with. Um, these large health systems to drive that forward. One of the most, if if not the most interesting thing about working this business, what I love about it, is the quality of people that I get to work with. Uh, not just at eVisit, though it's prodigious. Yeah. I've never worked with a better team. Uh, but amongst our clients, our customers, our partners in the industry, being in an area where, sure, the profit motive is there. We all want to make a good living. We, we, we all want value for service. Um, but being in an area where that can be balanced also by a, a, a philanthropic mission is powerful. And most people that I meet and work with in this industry are uh, not only cognizant of that, but really motivated by it. We're all in this to make life better. Uh, to some, to, to one extent or another, it, it is a highly vision, mission-driven industry, and that counts for a lot. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Any parting words, Brett? Onward. Onward. <laughs> Until next Thanks, time. Miles.